Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. morning church it's good to see everybody here today so glad you're with us today wonderful blessed lord's day to be able to sing praises to god we're starting a new series today uh continuing of course our year's theme for him which everything that i'm saying from this pulpit is about jesus and for jesus with jesus in mind and uh for this month as we kick off the summer we're going to talk about change Change. Change is like almost uh, a religion of its own today. Uh, some changes are for the better, some changes are for the worse. I, I was allowed to have a little sermon illustration of that today. You know, uh, not everything happens the way that you expect it to. One thing you can absolutely be certain about in life is that things are going to change, and that's true. Uh, children grow up, you know, seasons change, the weather changes. Political circumstances change. People's minds change. All of these things are just realities. They're just part of the world that we live in. But not everything has always changed in history at the pace that we see things changing now in our present day culture. In fact, there were thousands of years of human civilization in which change happened very, very slowly. In fact, other than kids growing up and the changing of the seasons, Cultural changes may not have happened uh, in any major way for centuries at a time. And I'm not saying that's necessarily to be favored over the, uh, the, the love affair with change, change for change's sake that our culture today uh, is enamored with. But I'm saying that probably uh, there's a healthy balance somewhere in between. Uh, for things to change too quickly, oftentimes we end up giving up and losing things that we didn't intend to lose. When things don't change quickly enough that need to be changed, it can become a burden upon people's spirits, upon their souls, when they recognize that something needs to get better and it stubbornly seems to refuse to do that. So over the course of this month, Lord willing, in my sermons, we're going to be talking about change from a number of different directions. First of all, I just want to talk about how important it is that we take change very seriously. And we don't just be people that are flippant about it, but we try to be people who are wise about change. You see, everything in God's creation is based upon systems that interact with each other. And there's this that supports that, and that which feeds this, and this which eats that. We talk about this in nature, in, in, in uh, inanimate creation, in the terms of uh, ecosystems. And ecosystems are, are these balanced circles of life. And right here in the city of Laverne, there is a natural ecosystem, actually a couple of them, depending upon which kind of terrain that you're in. But there's a balanced ecosystem around us, and everything in the ecosystem has a place and has a part. The smallest insects, the microbes that we can't even see with the naked eye, all the animals, the various plants, the different kinds of uh, uh, microorganism activity that takes place in the soil, of course, uh, the, what happens in the air, what happens with the weather, all of this is a part of the ecosystem. 
And if you introduce something into the ecosystem that doesn't belong here, something that is not native to this region, it can cause great harm. You know, little changes here and there, uh, a bad period of weather, not enough rain, uh, small changes within an ecosystem don't necessarily upset things so great. God is a genius in the way that he's created these kinds of checks and balances in ecosystems. They can handle a lot of stress. But major invasions by outside forces oftentimes can completely destroy an ecosystem. And a great example here in the south is that wonderful plant you see on the screen called kudzu. Kudzu came from Africa. In Africa, it is controllable because it's a part of the ecosystem there. But folks brought it into the south um, early, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s uh, because of of the, uh, well, the belief that it was going to help to control erosion. You could plant it around embankments, and it would grow up those embankments real fast and hold all the soil together, and, well, that would create more building space and make things look a little better with all that, you know, walls of red clay behind buildings that everywhere could be covered. And, well, I mean, the idea was okay, but what people found out is once they got kudzu here is that the controls that were supposed to uh, limit it from taking over everything under the sun aren't present in the southeastern United States like they are in Africa. And so anywhere that you plant kudzu, you kill everything else unless you fight it. You see, you know, how delicate the balance of an ecosystem can be? You can drive around and see how kudzu has destroyed what otherwise would have been a verdant and vibrant life. The question is, does this have an application to us in our spiritual lives, in our spiritual world? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. Spiritually, we are made in the image of Almighty God. As human beings, we're not mere animals. We're something elevated. We have an animal uh, essence to our nature, but there's something more to us than this. We have a spiritual element that nothing else in creation has. Because of all creation, mankind alone is made in the likeness of God. And God has given us strength if we are willing to embrace it and tap into it. You know, we have a lot of resilience spiritually, and our souls will handle a lot of abuse, a lot of disappointment, a lot of small changes, but, but big changes coming into our spiritual ecosystems, just like kudzu in a natural environment, can wreak havoc. And so we've got to be aware that there, that there are ways that things are supposed to be. There are things that belong in our souls, in our spirits, in our hearts, and in our minds. Things that are righteous, that are godly, that are holy, that are helpful, that are positive, that are healing, that are gracious. These things belong in our hearts and in our minds. This is what the Apostle Paul has in mind in Philippians 4 when he talks about whatever is good, whatever is lovely, what is noble, whatever is good report, think on these things. If you know that passage, these are the things that belong in the spiritual ecosystem that God has created for us to flourish in. But if you bring in sin, just like kudzu, you will have to fight it for the rest of your life, or it will kill everything. It will destroy everything you love, and it will even destroy you. And so thinking about the subject of change is incredibly important. In the passage that we're going to focus on today as we kick this series off, 
We're going to look at a, a very important point in the history of spirituality and certainly a, a pivotal point in Jesus' life and ministry and in the development of the Bible, thank God, that we have today. Because what we're going to look at is the very moment, really, that things radically shifted from the Old Testament ecosystem of spirituality to its fulfillment, the New Testament system, uh, uh, ecosystem, we might say, of spirituality in which Jesus has fulfilled all the will of God in giving us his final instructions about things. You know, I, I talked about the fact that, this, that our culture today in American and Western civilization, really in all the world, is enamored with change. And, and I, I want you to be aware of this. So, so if you'll bear with me just a moment, please listen. I want you as parents, those of you that are raising small children, I want you to start being very careful to pay attention to what it is that they're watching in the cartoons that they watch. And the Disney shows that they watch or the Nickelodeon or whatever kids' channel shows that they watch, start paying attention to what is, what's being told to them in these things. In their school programs, their school books, pay careful attention to what's being said. Because I know I'm listening. Children are being raised from infancy to believe that what really is virtuous in life is to change their world. Children are being told that you need to grow up and change your world. And so we have now a couple of generations that have been raised up in what we might call an activist environment. And listen, I'll be the first one to, to tell you that there are things that still need to be changed in America in radical ways. But I want you also to understand this. There will always be things that need to be changed in America in radical ways. As long as America is made up of sinners. Amen. And so there are always changes that need to be made. But you need to be careful how you approach the subject of change. Because uh, the uh, motivational speaker Jim Rohn said, for things to change, you have to change. And part of the problem uh, why for the past half century to 70 years in American culture and in Western civilization, why things have tended to kind of degenerate in the culture of our world is because people have been trying to change things outside themselves without, first of all, changing what is inside. You cannot change the world around you in a positive way until you change on the inside, until your spiritual ecosystem is healthy again, until that invasive root of sin has been dealt with. And no, I'm not saying that as long as you live this mortal life, you're going to somehow get to a point to where you can say, well, I, I beat sin. I'm never going to be dealing with that anymore. I have beat that thing and it's gone. No, that's not going to happen. But brothers and sisters, a change has got to take place on the inside of you. So that first of all, you do literally with the strength that God's Spirit is able to provide empty yourself of willful sin and you develop a spirit of warfare equal to the most aggressive environmentalist against the kudzu of sin in your life. And when you've done that, then you will be able to change the world around you in a way that is going to make it a better place, a healthier spiritual and moral community ecosystem that will enable our families and our neighbors and our friends to flourish. Here is the passage. Now when he, that's Jesus, heard that John, that's John the Baptist, had been arrested, he knew that his life would end soon. He withdrew into Galilee. 
And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And that's very significant in this passage. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 14. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is a pivotal passage. It is definitely a turning point in the history of God's relationship with his children. We have the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is where it starts. See, the Old Testament prophets had foretold that one would come in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah, and he would prepare the way of the Lord. He would uh, flatten the hills and raise up the valleys. He would make the roads straight, a level place. In other words, he would come into the nation of Israel, and he would teach them, and he would rebuke them, and he would guide them. So that they would become a people whose hearts were spiritually opened and whose minds would become attuned to what Jesus was just about to come preach. And as soon as John the Baptist had fulfilled that ministry, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, and had paved the way for Jesus to come and bring restoration to Israel and hope to the Gentile world, John's ministry ended and Jesus's began. And I want you to notice here, because if we're talking about first principles of the faith, Listen, there are a lot of things that are more fundamental than this passage. Belief in God himself, the triune nature of God, the qualities of God. These things are, are more fundamental doctrines, we might say. But if we're thinking about Christianity specifically, let me explain what I mean by that. If we're thinking about what it means to actually just follow Jesus, this passage teaches us the first principle of following Jesus. When Jesus recognized that his time had come, his public ministry was now prophetically ripe to begin. The very first thing, are you listening? The very first thing he said is, y'all gotta change. Y'all gotta change. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repentance is, uh, well, just kind of a religious word today. It used to be in past time just a normal word that folks might use in a lot of circumstances. But today, since we don't really use the word repent or repentance, you know, uh, well, I was heading in the direction of Hickory Hollow this morning, but I repented and I turned around on an exit and came back in the direction of uh, Old Hickory Boulevard. That's not the way we talk, but that's a legitimate meaning of, of the word. But it's just kind of become a word we use in religious circles today. So I want to make sure everybody, especially our children, understands the meaning of the word repentance. Really, it just fundamentally means to turn. It means to turn around. It means to make an about face, a U-turn. That's what repentance means. It, it means you're turning around and going in a different direction than you were going before. And it's something that begins with a change of your mind. Repentance starts inside your noggin. It starts in your heart, in your, in your thoughts. It comes from the recognition that something is wrong in your life. Something is wrong in the way that you think and the way that you speak and the way that you act and 
interact with people. And maybe you might recognize something's wrong in the world that you live in, and you, and you can see that it's having an influence on who you are on the inside. And, and you recognize that there's something that is calling to you, shining a light on a pathway, and showing you that there is, in fact, a better way to live and a better way to be human. And so this change of mind is the beginning of this process of turning or changing or repenting that Jesus began his ministry saying his followers would have to do. And so if you have changed your mind, then what comes from your mind is going to be changed as well. If you try to change your behaviors from the outside, it's never going to work because what you do on the outside of you always flows from what's on the inside. And so this requires construction and deconstruction. It requires that you search your life out, being guided by this light that you have found, that you test your life and you examine your life, and most notably, you pay attention to the conversation that you have with yourself through the days of your life. You start listening to what's going on up here. Do you know that most people don't really pay a lot of introspective attention to the dialogue that's going on inside their minds? You aware of that? Let me ask you, do you, do you really pay attention to what you're saying to yourself, what you're saying about yourself, what you're saying about other people, what you're saying about your circumstances in life? Are, are you poisoning your own well? I, I, we, I always like to say none of us in this room are our own worst enemies. We sometimes like to say I'm my own worst enemy. Satan is your worst enemy and you can't compare to him but you well might be his greatest ally sometimes, and you need to be aware of that. You need to think about what you're saying because starting to pay attention to the dialogue that takes place inside your own mind all through every single day, that's the beginning of the change that Jesus is talking about needs to make, that needs to be made. Because until you can change what's going on on the inside, you're not going to succeed lastingly in changing anything that goes on on the outside. And this is why wicked worldly people who do not have respect for Jesus will never build the utopia that they dream of. Did that make sense? It will never happen. Because they're trying to make beauty on the outside when there is ugliness within. They're trying to bring harmony on the outside when there is strife within. They're trying to build a world full of love when they're nurturing hatred in their hearts. And my friends, that will not get the job done. And this is why Jesus said to them, yes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And therefore, y'all have got to change the way that you think. And you've got to change the way that you act. If you've got habits, if you've got beliefs, if you've got practices, if you've got dear beloved ideals in your mind that are contradictory to the ministry of Jesus, you've got to deconstruct those things. You got to tear down the strongholds of evil influence in your mind. You've got to be just like God commanded the kings of Judah to be. Whenever the people would turn to idolatry and they'd build their shrines up on every high hill and mountain, the righteous kings were called by God to get, get their horsemen, get their armies, and go through the countryside. And every time they found an idolatrous ashram or a statue to Baal, they were to cut it down, they were to bash it in pieces, bash the stone into powder, melt down the gold and burn the wood 
And all of that was symbolic of the kind of warfare that penitent people are supposed to be waging against our weaknesses and the temptations to evil within our hearts. You see, there's a high hill in my mind that I like to stand on top of. And on top of that hill, I'm the king of the world. And what I want, I get. What I desire, I take. Everything I love, I control. By the way, there's a hilltop like that in your heart too. And you got to come down from that hilltop because it ain't yours. And you don't belong on it. It's Jesus' hilltop. He's the king. What he says goes. What he desires, he gets. Brothers and sisters, he desires nothing more than for you to recognize him for who and what he is and to give up your stubborn will in favor of his blessed will. When you've torn down the strongholds of evil influence in your life, and you're going to do that repeatedly, my friends, you're going to do that repeatedly. I'm going to say to you kids, you know, we often talk about how tough teenagers have it in our culture, and I don't disagree with that. They do. But listen, if you think you're going to turn 20 or 21 or 25 or 30 or 45, I don't care what you think. If you think you're going to turn an age and some, somehow the devil is going to stop plaguing you and he's going to stop oppressing uh, you and he's going to stop tempting you and then suddenly your weaknesses are going to go away, you're, you're sorely mistaken. And I, I don't want to deceive anybody like that. I want to tell you kids. Do the best you can while you're young to embrace Jesus with all of your heart. Don't make the foolish mistakes that some of us have made in our early years of life when we turned away from the Lord and filled our lives full of all kinds of horrible things. Don't, don't do it. It'll make it easier on you if you never turn away and give in to His will at all. But regardless of what you do, He will never leave you alone and you're going to have to fight for life. And I know that that does not sound fun. So let's go ahead and just say is it fun getting rid of kudzu? But no, of course not. Who wants to do that? Could we get rid of kudzu entirely? Well, it's not a trick question. The answer is yeah, we could. If we all were determined to do it. <laughs> but we ain't never going to be, man. Let's just be honest. As long as you mow it back and contain it to a little place that doesn't bother your lifestyle so much... We'll just let it keep on growing, right? Can you connect the dots? I'm not going to spoon feed you. <laughs> can you connect the dots? If you want things to be right in your life, you cannot yield, not for a moment. But understand the power is not all in you to achieve victory, and we'll definitely explore that in this series. But Jesus says something here. He, he gives us a reason why. Repentance or this change of heart resulting in a change of lifestyle is so essential. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, at hand means that it's within reach. You can reach out and touch it, just like your phone, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but uh, there are very few people in this room, and most of them are under eight, whose phones are not at hand right it's a feature of our times i'm not saying that's sinful i'm just saying that's what it is 
So what does that hand mean? Where's your phone? That's what that hand means. Because <laughs> most of the time it's by you. It's within reach. It's something you can get to. What Jesus is saying is you don't realize it, but the reign of God, the fulfilled reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, the place or the domain or the state of being in which people are finally going to really give God the proper place in their lives, that kingdom is coming to you you are not going to have to go find that kingdom. You couldn't find it if you searched for it. It has to be brought to you by the will of God. And Jesus is telling the people that are listening to him as he begins his earthly ministry, he's saying, I am bringing the reign of God into your world, into your homes, into your families, and into your lives. He is not saying, I would like to bring the reign of God into your lives. He's telling the people that the time is now urgent. That their repentance is something that they cannot be lazy about, half-hearted about, and they cannot delay about. Because judgment is coming, because the king is assuming his throne. And the culmination of the reign of Christ will be judgment day. And every single one of us in this room, and not only us, but every man, woman, and child who has ever lived and died in all of the thousands of years of human civilization will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the one thing that will matter, the only thing that will matter, is whether you have bowed the knee to Jesus in repentance and given him your life. It's the only thing that will matter. It's the only thing that does matter. And Jesus is trying to get the people to realize that this conundrum is unavoidable. The border has crossed you. Are you hearing that? You didn't cross a border. The border came to you. And it crossed you. And you are under the watchful eye of Jesus. And he loves you. He loves you. And he can give you utopia. Do you know that? He can make even this life in this fallen world much, much better. And he will help. The process of your transformation when you make the decision to change in his behalf. But you need to recognize you cannot avoid the requirement. You can disobey the requirement, but you cannot avoid it because Jesus' message has come to you. He didn't leave it for you to go seek it and find it. It came to you. And now you have the most important decision to make in your life. And this call to repentance, this call to change is absolutely universal. Now, I mentioned that it's significant where Jesus chose to begin his public ministry. Now, there's a sense in which his ministry began in Jerusalem, prophetically as it should, when Jesus was 12, and he told his parents, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But the actual public kickoff of his preaching was not in Jerusalem. It was in Galilee of the Gentiles, and there's a reason for that. This quote is from uh, Matthew and its cultural context from a lecture by Dr. Tom Alexander of Harding University. Listen, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali received a steady influx of Gentiles since Assyrian conquest in the 8th century B.C. Matthew highlights this while focusing on the Jewish context. Of course, Jesus is first of all ministering to Israel. And through his ministry to Israel, the gospel overflows to the whole Gentile world. Even though that's true in the sequence of things, I want you to notice that it is absolutely not a coincidence that Jesus chose to start his ministry here. 
Yes, there were many in Israel who were here, Israelites who were here that believed in the one God. But there were also hosts of Greeks and Romans and Syrians and folks from all over the Middle East that were there in this area, Galilee of the Gentiles, who were trapped and being abused by idolatry. And so Matthew highlights this while focusing on the Jewish context. Listen, the first worshipers of Jesus that we read about, second to the shepherds, were Gentile magi. They're Gentile women in Jesus' genealogy. You skip over the genealogy sometimes. There's good theological truths in them. Don't do that. Jesus told the Canaanite woman that she had great faith, something he didn't say very often to Israelites. He told the centurion who came to Jesus seeking healing for his servant that he had not found greater faith in all of Israel. This man who had been raised by heathens had been called to trust God in a greater way than those who were nurtured in Israel had done. And of course, the Great Commission, which is the marching orders of the church to seek and save the lost all over the world, is a commission to all nations, all peoples, all ethnicities, all language, tribes, tongues, We are to take the gospel to everyone. Continuing, Matthew wrote his gospel in the mid-first century A.D. during a time of major social conflicts between groups in society. Does that make sense? Can we relate that to our time today? Are we living in a time of great social change because of opposed forces in our culture? In America today, we have never been more divided politically or morally ever in the history of this nation than we are right now. And this is why. Preaching the fundamentals of the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely the right thing to do for now. Because when the circumstances in the ancient world were similar politically and morally and religiously to what they are today in America and Western civilization in the world, what Jesus came and said is, the kingdom of God has overstepped you. It is the boundary has crossed you. You are in it, and therefore you've got to change. And our message is Laverne Church of Christ to the city of Laverne, to the state of Tennessee, to the United States of America, and to every man, woman, and child alive on the planet is this. The kingdom of God is at hand. You must change. You've got to change. You've got to change in the direction of Jesus. And this message is for Jews, and this message is for Gentiles. So, in summary and application today, I don't want to give you too big of a bite in one lesson. We'll talk about this, Lord willing, in the next three weeks. Let's just kind of summarize and make some applications. First of all, Repentance, that is turning away from self-guided living in order to embrace the guidance of Christ. That's what the Bible means by repentance. Turning away from self-guided living, me being upon that hilltop in my mind and allowing Jesus to take his rightful place on the hilltop in my mind. This is what repentance means. And it is the only change that actually changes everything. When you embrace the Lordship of Christ and give yourself to Him to live your life according to His teachings and to follow in His footsteps, He will see to it that everything else in your life changes. You've given Him the reins. He'll use them. Sometimes you won't like the discipline that He gives, but you will like the results if you stick with Him. He will fill your life with blessings through the Holy Spirit, which He alone can send. You will be given love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and forward. Th those are results that come from giving your life to Jesus. They are the evidences of His work through His Holy Spirit in your life. They are the accomplishments of God in his work of transforming you, which you cannot take credit for, because the only thing that is in you and in your power is to stand up on the mountaintop and usurp the throne of Christ. And if you live life according to the will of your flesh, that is all you will do. And every utopia you try to build will be just another tower of Babel, and it will come crumbling down. Let it sink in. How difficult is it to change? You tell me. How difficult has it been for you to follow in the footsteps of the perfect Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Sometimes I find it easy. Some days it is easy. Some days I'm just ready to die. Let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard but it doesn't change the fact that it's right. It doesn't change the fact that it is my duty. It doesn't change the fact that it is absolutely what I must do if I would have a blessed and happy future. Succeeding in repentance is probably... I, I hear it, I've heard it all of my Christian life. I've heard people talking about faith. I, I don't have a whole lot of problem with believing in Jesus, and I definitely love His Word, and... Man, the church, you know, it just, it's so encouraging to be a part of the church, and I really do appreciate that, but man, repentance, that's, that's the tough thing, repentance. And you know what? I agree with that. But I want you to recognize that based upon the way that Jesus kicked things off, repentance is not just a part of being a Christian. It's really kind of a metaphor for the whole thing. You following me? Jesus isn't just saying Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and later I'll tell you other stuff that you got to do. That's not what he means. When Jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's meaning you have to change everything because everything has changed. And you've got to get your life in line with what God is doing. This is comprehensive. It is holistic. It starts in your mind, and it goes through to every single aspect of your life. And it begins with knowledge. You don't do better till you know better, right? And so it begins with the Lord teaching you the better way to think and the better way to speak that flows from that and the better way to act and to live in fellowship with our other uh, brothers and sisters, our fellow human beings. It starts with knowledge. And that knowledge, when we test it, when it is put to test in our lives and we begin to see, wow, what Jesus commands, when I actually do it, good stuff comes from it. And as we repeat that over and over again, and we experience more and more good stuff by obeying Jesus, that develops trust. That's really what faith is. Knowledge leads to trust. When I trust Jesus' will, that what he says is right, that what he says is going to work out, that what he says is going to bless me, that what he says is the doorway to eternal life, when I realize that happy marriages, happy families, happy children, healthy society, that all of these things flow from the teaching of Jesus and from nothing else, then I will obey his will. Because it makes sense to, doesn't it? It's the right thing to do. And then that obedience produces growth. 
slowly but surely over the course of life, you will find it progressively easier. I'm not saying it'll happen overnight. I'm saying the Spirit will transform your heart in His good time and at His pace. I'm not saying you can't help that process along. You must. But that process will be lifelong. But if you will keep the faith, live in that knowledge, continue to trust, obey the teachings of Jesus, you'll grow in His providence, His overruling sovereignty by which He can work through everything seen and unseen. We'll see to it that you are confirmed and strengthened and finally saved on the last day. For today, I realize that you probably have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns and confusion about repentance, and I don't blame you at all. And I won't answer every single one of them likely that you have in this series, but I will say here at the outset of it, if you do have specific questions about repentance or the change that the Lord requires of all who would follow Him, write them down, text them to me and let me know, and I'll be able to work them into the sermons in the next few weeks and deal specifically maybe with what you're concerned about. But what I want to say today is that for today, I'm asking everybody in this room to start with realizing that you have every reason to change. Amen? Jesus came down from heaven, became a man, and he lived a perfect life. And he gave himself to suffer and die for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. God raised him up from the dead. He cannot die again. He lives even bodily in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God. And because of that, we have the promise that if we will keep the faith just, just for one lifetime. That's all God is asking. If we will just keep the faith just one lifetime, He will give us an eternity of lifetimes in the presence of His glory and in perfect heavenly bliss. So you got every reason to change. The journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. To those of you who are baptized believers, because you have made that decision to repent and you've obeyed the commandment to be baptized and your sins have been washed away and you now are a baptized believer, a Christian, that does not mean that you no longer have repentance in your life. Because it's my experience, and I trust that it is yours as well, that the more I grow and the more I learn, the keener my vision is at recognizing things in my life that I have not yet laid at the foot of Jesus and, and given Him in submission before His throne. And I trust if I live to be 90, I, I'm still going to be finding ways in my life that I can further bring myself under the rule of Christ. And so I want to urge all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, all of the baptized believers, to continue to embrace the principle of repentance. Every time you recognize something in your thought process, and that's where your words and deeds come from. So if you say something you knew you shouldn't have said, what you need to do is go back and say, now what was the thought process that led to that? You need to work on yourself from the inside, praying for the help of the Holy Spirit that you might continue to grow. Please let me make it just as plain as I can. I don't know who is the most spiritual person in this church. I really don't know. I don't know who among us is the strongest in Christ here. I don't know who that is. The Lord does. But I know the strongest of us in this room has still got areas in their lives in which things are not right. Right? So keep on. Keep on keeping on. <clears throat> to the unbaptized. Listen, let me say this to our small children in here. We're not asking you to be baptized until you're old enough, that you're responsible for your actions, and you realize 
that you, you know what sin is and you know that you have become a sinner. But I do want to say today, anybody in this room, if you realize you know what sin is, disobeying the will of God, violating the ecosystem that God has created for humanity to flourish in spiritually, if you have violated that, you need to get back in line. You need to come to Jesus and receive uh, restoration, receive forgiveness, remission of sins. And the only way that that is available is if you will confess the name of Christ. And based on that good confession, making the decision to change, you begin that process to change that will be lifelong, then you submit to the commandment to be baptized. The baptistry is full of water, it is warm. If you have not obeyed the gospel by being baptized into Christ, brothers and sisters, that is the first step of repentance, of embracing the change that Jesus wants to make first in you and then through you into the rest of the world. I put that screen, that passage on the screen for you to see. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to recognize no exceptions to the rule. Jesus requires repentance of everybody. Are you subject to the invitation today? Please come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.